The scripture reading for this morning is Philippians 4, 10 through 20, which may be found on page 982 of your Pew Bible. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians 4, 10 through 20. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and keep those Bibles open and let's pray. Uh, as we look at this text. Lord, may we never get over the privilege of knowing that we can open this book and hear your voice. Um, What an incredible gift of your grace. So Lord, would we, by your help, make the most of that this morning, uh, to hear you, to see you, uh, strengthened by your Spirit, to be changed by you, and to go forward in loving, joyful obedience to you. Uh, So, Lord, would you be with us right now? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are concluding our short series on giving, uh, what we've called gospel-fueled stewardship, uh, treasure that lasts. And because this is a short series, and because it's a somewhat sensitive topic, that is money, Um, I've been starting each sermon with a number of provisos or uh, caveats, things like, no, uh, we're not in a financial crisis, no, we're not in the middle of a fundraiser, no, we don't talk about money every Sunday, no, I don't know what you actually give, those kinds of of comments. And, And while I hope that setting that context has helped us to lower our guard a little bit to be able to hear what Scripture says on these subjects, what God says, I don't want to suggest through those caveats that we should be embarrassed or hesitant to talk about money. Uh, As we've been discussing, how we handle our money uh, is an essential part of Christian discipleship, of following Jesus. That impacts everything about us, including what we do with our money. And just as a matter of reality, it's very hard to accomplish anything in this world 
that doesn't in some way involve money, commerce, trade, things like that. It costs money to run a business, right? You've got overhead and payroll and marketing and so on. It costs money to run a household, mortgage or rent and utilities and taxes and food. It costs money to run a hospital in order to help people or to run a charity and help people. And it costs money to run a church or to be a missionary. We shouldn't be ashamed of that fact or ignorant of it. It's the way the world works, regardless of what it is you're trying to accomplish. And so the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is the cause worthy? And who's involved? Who's involved? Do we know and can we trust the people we're working with? Is there a need? Is there a need? Will my money make a difference? And what's the ultimate impact? What's the ultimate impact? Am I investing in something that will last? Those are the questions we need to be asking when we think about this. And those are the questions I want to explore this morning as we think of giving as partnership. Giving as partnership. We've talked so far about giving as worship, that the way we spend our money exposes the true master of our hearts. Uh, where your heart is, there your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We've talked about giving as grace, how it's motivated by the grace of God that we've experienced, how it ought to reflect that grace in the way that we give, how we depend on God's grace in order to give and how the aim we aim at the grace that wells up to the glory of God. So giving as grace, today uh, we look at giving as partnership, specifically in Philippians 4. And the way that we're going to look at these verses in Philippians is relative to those four questions I just asked. Is it worth it? Who's involved? Is there a need? And what's the ultimate impact? And so we'll start with uh, the first question, is it worth it? A worthy cause. Are we giving to a worthy cause, namely advancing the gospel? So Philippians is a pretty familiar letter of Paul's, right? And, and when you look at that letter, uh, we can identify several reasons or several factors that motivated Paul to write this letter to the ancient church in Philippi. Uh, on the one hand, he wants to update them about his own ministry. He talks at length about that or about the ministries of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Uh, he wants to speak to some of the conflict that's been reported to him. There's this tiff between Yodia and Syntyche that he addresses in chapter 4. He wants to warn them against some potential threats. In chapter 3, watch out for, for those who are, who are trying to trip you up. But one of the main reasons that Paul writes this letter to this ancient church is to say thank you for their generous financial support. This is a big, long thank you letter, in a sense. Thank you for their partnership, as he calls it in chapter 1, verse 5, this partnership of giving and receiving. So what is it that brings Paul and the Philippians into this partnership this relationship of giving and receiving. What is the common cause that brings them together, that unites them? 
And as we look at this book, it is nothing less than the advance of the gospel of Jesus. We always think of Philippians as a book about joy, right? Um, Because it's full of joy. The word's used 14-ish times in there. But the reason Philippians is so full of joy is because it's so full of Jesus. That's the heartbeat of this book, Jesus and the advance of his gospel. It's that cause that, that motivates this letter. It's the gospel of Jesus that he opens on, this partnership in the gospel. Uh, you don't have to flip there, but you can see on the screen in the beginning of the book, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Paul starts, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And why is he so thankful for this church? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So he opens the book talking about this partnership. He closes the book on the same note, chapter 4, verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, in the beginning of this ministry of making Christ known, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So he begins on this note, he ends on this note, and in between he hits this note again and again, this beauty of partnering together in the gospel and for the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me, specifically his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. That's the goal. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ also, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, that Christ would be treasured and made known, that the gospel would advance. So Paul and the Philippians have a common cause. They are partners in the gospel in terms of how Christ has changed their lives and for the gospel in terms of making Christ known. And it is a worthy cause. The advance of the gospel is a worthy cause because there's no greater treasure that this world affords than knowing Christ. There are endless causes, good causes in this world. Fighting poverty, improving literacy, uh, protecting the environment, clean drinking water, racial reconciliation, Safe working conditions, protect, I already said that one, disaster relief, uh, equal pay for men and women doing the same job. There's all sorts of great causes, important and worthy causes, but there is no cause quite so worthy as the gospel of Christ. First, because Jesus is the only treasure that truly satisfies. The only, we sang that earlier, right? And Paul makes that point in this book. He's the only treasure that truly satisfies. Clean water is a gift, but you will be thirsty again. Equal pay is important, but money will let you down. 
Because we were made in God's image to know him and love him and enjoy him for eternity, there is, as it's often said, a God-shaped hole in all of us that only Christ can fill. There's no satisfaction ultimately apart from him. As, as Augustine said in the opening prayer of his confessions, he says to God, you made us for yourself and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. Only Jesus satisfies. Second, not only does Jesus uniquely satisfy us, he's the only treasure that lasts. He's the only treasure that lasts. Everything that we enjoy, everything we depend on, everything we look to for our identity or security in this world, all of it is eventually going to go the way of all the earth. I once had a pair of favorite jeans. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, the jeans that were made just for you. And they, I loved those jeans. They were comfortable. They looked good on me. They were my favorite jeans. But the more that I loved them, the more they wore away until one day we had to say goodbye. <laughs> Which actually, I think I turned them into painting jeans, and there's probably like, you know, only one leg left in them, but I couldn't part with them because they're so comfortable. But all of our earthly treasure will someday let us down. It will wear out, regardless of what it is. Earthly treasure doesn't last. Jesus does. Jesus does. And what also lasts is our souls, either in the presence of God or away from Him. And Jesus is the only one who can reconcile us to God. He's the only name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. Because he loved us and came down and lived for us and died for us and rose for us, we can be forgiven, reconciled, adopted, redeemed for all eternity through faith in Christ. He's the only treasure that lasts the only one. But third, not only is Jesus uniquely satisfying and uniquely eternal, he also supplies the motivation and the meaning behind all other good causes on earth. I mean, the reason we care about clean water is because people are made in the image of God and they're worthy of care and love and basic necessities. The reason we care about equal pay is because Jesus cares about justice, doing what is right, and he will judge those who defraud their laborers of fair pay, James 5. So every truly good and meaningful cause on this earth is but an echo and a signpost of that ultimate great cause, the cause of the gospel, the cause of Christ. And it's through Jesus and his gospel that one day every truly good and meaningful cause on earth will be fulfilled when he returns to make all things new. And so is the cause worthy? Is the cause worthy? That's the first question in giving as partnership. Is the gospel of Jesus a worthy cause? Paul found it to be so. So worthy, he was willing to lose literally everything for.
for it. He says in Philippians chapter 3, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, not just my gain, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus my Lord. Is the cause of Christ worthy in knowing Jesus and making him known that others might find forgiveness and wholeness and redemption and love that lasts for eternity in the presence of God, that they might be saved from eternity separated from his presence in hell? Is the cause of the gospel worthy, and does my giving reflect that? Does my giving reflect that? There are all sorts of good causes that we can give to and we should give to. And, and there's no chapter and verse on how to allocate our giving among many good causes. We'd, we'd like that. We'd like to say, you know, give this much to, you know. It, it doesn't say that. And so the question is, what's the worthiness of the cause? What's the urgency of the cause? And based on the worthiness of the cause of the gospel and its duration of eternal fruit, it makes sense at least that Christians ought to prioritize giving to the gospel. Not that that's the only thing we give to, but it ought to be the main thing that we give to because that's the only thing that lasts, giving to the local church and its greater mission, not just the church, but its greater mission as well. And so partnership begins with the worthiness of the cause. And the gospel of Jesus is the preeminently worthy cause. But second, who's involved? Who's involved? Who are we partnering with? And that brings us to genuine fellowship. That's the second point, genuine fellowship. The worthiness of the cause is essential, but so is knowing and trusting the people that we're working with in that cause. So, so it's not just about writing a check, right? That, that, that's the easy part sometimes for us, to, to write the check. But there's a relationship involved in any truly worthy cause. There's this mutual relationship in the gospel's advance. And, and you can see that in Philippians. Paul doesn't just praise them for the money. He praises God for the people. That's what he is praying for and praising God over. The people, not just their gift, and the fellowship that he has with them in that common cause. In fact, the word partnership uh, that we see in this book, it's the same word that we usually translate fellowship, koinonia. We often think of, of Christian fellowship in kind of strictly social terms, right? So we have a coffee hour the what, third Sunday of the month, and that's our fellowship time. And that's good. We need that relational social engagement. Uh, so fellowship's not less than sharing life together in the church, but it is more than that when we look at that word and how the, the scriptures use it. Uh, the biblical concept of partnership or fellowship is more. This is the word that's often used in the ancient world to describe business partnerships where, as one author notes, all of those involved would share in doing the work on the one hand and in the financial responsibilities on the other. So, yes, it's community. Fellowship is community, but it's community with a purpose, with a, a mission, with a cause. So, think of 
Tolkien's Fellowship of the Ring. You know, they weren't sitting around having coffee talking about how to, you know, rescue Middle-earth. They were on a quest together, right? It's that kind of fellowship, a partnership in and for something, a genuine love and camaraderie that's bound by a common cause. And we see both that relational and missional aspect come together, again, in how Paul thanks God for his partnership with the Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 7, he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all, this gushing prayer that I'm offering to the Lord. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers or partners, fellowshippers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So think about that. As the Philippians support Paul, they are fellowshipping with him in his own imprisonment. They're not in the jail cell with him, but they're with him. Does that make sense? So, so there's this genuine relational connection involved in partnering in the gospel. He says in verses 11, uh, I'm skipping ahead, hold on. Uh, chapter 4, verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 10, we see that same element of partnership. Uh, I rejoice in the Lord greatly now at length that you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. So they weren't just, again, they're not just writing a check. They were genuinely concerned about Paul and how he's doing and how the mission was going. Uh, again, verse 14, it's kind of you to share or partner or fellowship in my trouble. Their fellowship was in his trouble, in his tribulation as the gospel advanced. And so there's this personal connection involved in that kind of partnership. And, and guarding, important to guarding that genuine fellowship was Paul assuring the Philippians that, that the joy that he's expressing uh, is not just or, or even really because at all that his needs have been met. So he, he's not happy in this book because of the money he got. He wants them to know that. He says in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, or again in verse 17, not that I seek the gift. So Paul's not excited about their partnership because he really needs their money. That's not the point. He says in verses 11 and 12, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And, and what's Paul's secret? Namely, it's through treasuring and trusting Jesus Christ. That, that's the meaning behind the often misused uh, verse 13. I could do all things through him who strengthens me. Unfortunately, that's not about how to improve my golf swing. It's just not. It is, I can do all things, I can be content in any situation God calls me to through him who strengthens me because Jesus is enough. And, and knowing that, that God is the ultimate provider, as he says in verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's aim in their giving is not really about the money. It's about the bond of love and the joy of partnership and the spiritual benefit that they will receive through that partnership. 
verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, the spiritual benefit for them. And, and if that mutual trust in their partnership isn't there, if, if they can't trust Paul with the money, uh, then that that's going to affect the partnership, right? So if they get the sense that Paul isn't really interested in them or in the cause, but just in their cash, that's going to be a pretty big red flag, and it ought to be. And, and so this genuine fellowship in the gospel is an essential part of, of giving as partnership. And the same is true for partnership uh, in the gospel that we have in the local church. That's one of the reasons that we're a congregational church, right? Uh, we are a community on mission together. And so every member of Westgate has a say in what our actual budget is. It's our budget. It's not the deacon's budget or the treasurer's budget or the elder's budget. It's our budget. And that's one of the reasons we have qualifications for deacons and elders. For those entrusted for, with, with uh, running some of these things, there are biblical qualifications for godly, upright, trustworthy character, including things like not a lover of money, 1 Timothy 3, or not greedy for dishonest gain, again, 1 Timothy 3. Those are qualifications. So leaders who have a contentment that comes from Christ and not from stuff. That's, that's one of the baselines for biblical leadership. For the same reason, uh, our missions board does a lot of work to help us be connected with the, mi the missionaries and the organizations that we support, the ones that we partner with, so that we know them and their work and their victories and their trials and their needs and their joys. It's not just writing a check, it's fellowship with them. And, and they do a lot of work to keep us connected in that way. So if we ever get to the point where we are more interested in raising money or paying bills than seeing Christ treasured above all things in Metro West Boston and every corner of the globe, if we ever find ourselves using people instead of loving people, if our genuine concern only goes so far as gaining capital, then we need to stop what we're doing, rethink our lives and our existence as a church. The cause of Christ is worthy, and genuine fellowship is more than the money. It's relationship tied together in a common cause for the glory of God. It's advanced through genuine fellowship of which giving is a part. The third question, is there a need? So is the cause worthy? Who's involved? Is there a need? Is there a need? When it comes to giving as partnership, will my money make a difference? And so our third point is strategic investment. Strategic investment, giving that makes a difference. When you give to a cause, you want to know is the money being used well, right? That's kind of a baseline of whether or not I'm going to be involved. Uh, that's why we have groups today like Charity Navigator. It's this organization that rates all the different charities out there as to how effective uh, and uh, trustworthy 
they are. Or even among churches today, we have what's called the ECFA, the Evangelical Council of Financial Accountability, which is not to be confused with the EFCA, our denomination, Evangelical Free Church of America. So uh, we want to know that our money's making a real difference, meeting important needs and not just lining the pocket of administrators or being squandered on inefficient or ineffective systems. In the same way, Paul wanted the Philippian church to know that their financial support really did make a difference. He tells them about the difference it's making. So while he isn't seeking the gift itself, that didn't mean that it wasn't useful or necessary for the work God called Paul to do. It made every difference in the world. It it wasn't necessary for Paul's contentment. It wasn't necessary for his, his contentment, but it was helpful for the mission to get work done. Uh, generous support from churches like the one in Philippi is what freed Paul up to focus on advancing the gospel. So if you read the book of Acts, early in Paul's ministry, he, he was what we call today bivocational. So he had a day job making tents. And in in his spare time, he would preach the gospel. But when churches like Philippi sent him aid, it freed him up to be occupied with the word rather than with paying bills. Uh, And he describes the impact of their generosity in verses 14 to 18. He said, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. There is a a strategic, tangible effect of their gift. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So their giving made a very real difference difference in the cause of Christ. It was practically strategic. It bore tangible fruit that helped the gospel's message flourish by supporting Paul and his friends in their work. And so it's important for us to be both transparent and strategic in how we spend the money that God supplies us as a church through the gifts of everyone here. Uh, And we want to be transparent because accountability is critical right? Accountability is essential. We, as a church, need to know where our money goes and how it's being managed. Uh, Is it actually getting there? And again, that's why the whole congregation is invited to weigh in on how we structure our budget and why our treasurer supplies regular reports to the deacons mid-year to help us know how the money's being spent and why we share those reports with the membership every year at the annual meeting, so we go over these kinds of things because all of us need to be able to see what's going on. Is it being used the way God wants us to use it? And we all have a voice in that together. Um, In fact, we can't even put a budget into effect as a church without a congregational vote. So it's, it's all of us together. We need to be transparent, and we need to be strategic in how we spend it. And again, we we have much to be thankful for. Our deacons literally spend hours each year. Like, 
you know, we get busy with holiday stuff, going to Christmas parties and kids' musicals and whatever. The deacons are like bearing down on budget time, trying to figure out, ask the Lord, how do we uh, do this? Uh, Prayerfully weighing needs and opportunities, all within the scope of our mission and our vision to see Christ treasured. And so be praying for them this season uh, as they work on that, preparing for uh, January and February. And, and it, when you look at our budget, a large portion of that goes to salary. So just as the money that the Philippian church sent freed Paul up to be able to give his attention full-time to the gospel, that's what a lot of our giving does. It, it frees up people, whether pastoral or support staff, to devote focused time to the cause of the gospel, whether the, uh, through ministering the word or through supporting that work. And a significant portion of our giving goes to uh, several ministry initiatives as well. One interesting way to look at our budget is to see how it lines up with the eight core commitments of our vision. So if you take the money we spend and align it with how is it actually advancing different, how much do we spend advancing each core commit, commitment? And of course, there's ever other responsibilities that Not everything we spend money on fits neatly into those eight commitments, so there's other things as well. It's interesting to kind of see how strategic are we being in our spending. Uh, And this is total spending, both missions and general budget together. And as you look at that, there's some really healthy categories. Um, There's some great things God is doing, but we can also see some room for improvement, right? Uh, now, Now, a couple caveats. Just because, you know, prayer is not a particularly expensive ministry to fund, right? You can have a great prayer ministry that doesn't cost a lot of money. So the goal is not to say everything should be the same. But it does kind of show, like, are there some areas we need to be thinking strategically about? So local outreach, for instance, 2%. Now, again, local outreach doesn't have to be expensive either. But if we're trying to grow in our effectiveness... We may need to think strategically about that. And of course, our local outreach development team has been working on that, and I I expect to have some uh, recommendations that will affect this um, when their work is done. Um, Or you take church planting, for instance. Um, Now, we know that church planting is downstream from outreach and discipleship. We know that we haven't gotten there yet to really strategize on that. But when we get there, that number is going to have to change if we're going to be effective in seeing Christ treasured through planting gospel-preaching churches. So so we need to think strategically as well. Uh, uh, When we give as a partnership, we want to know, is there a need? Is our money making a difference? Is there a strategic investment? Does it bear fruit in gospel growth and gospel witness? And then finally, our last question, what's the ultimate impact? What's the ultimate impact? Am I investing in something that will last? Am I investing in something that will last? And that really brings us full circle in this short series on giving, because we're back to the question of worship um, as we consider this last point, treasure that lasts uh, the glory of God. So look again at verse 18. Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, 
a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So notice that to whom the Philippians were ultimately giving. Not to Paul. They were giving to God. Their giving is an act of worship to God. Paul uses the imagery of Old Testament sacrifices uh, that Israel offered to God as their worship. So, so listen to how that's just keep Philippians in your mind and listen to this excerpt from Leviticus 1. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord, an acceptable offering. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So that same imagery of making a sacrifice to God, that's how Paul describes the Philippians giving to the cause of the gospel. Their investment was an act of worship, not to atone for sin that was completed by Christ on the cross, but to recognize and celebrate God's worthy name. This was a pleasing aroma, a sacrifice acceptable. And, and look what he says in verse 20. The conclusion of this whole section on giving here. He says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, that's language of worship. The glory of God being magnified. That's what all of this is ultimately about. So what's the ultimate impact of their giving? By investing in the cause of the gospel, the Philippians were magnifying the glory of God. They were recognizing God is incomparably worthy. They were surrendering themselves before his beauty. They were sacrificing themselves for his worthy reputation. They are, in the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, they are storing up treasures in heaven investing in the one thing that this fallen world cannot destroy, the eternal glory of God. And, and what's interesting here is that God is getting glory not only when the gospel that Paul preaches results in a changed life. Obviously, people coming to know Christ, that brings glory to God. You see him celebrating that in the letter to the Philippians as well. As he's stuck in prison, you know, it looks like his opponents are winning. They've marginalized Paul, and he's evangelizing the jail cell, and people are coming to, to faith. So the chains can't hold the advance of the gospel, and God gets glory through that. But not only does he get glory when someone comes to Christ, God gets glory in the very act of giving itself. Because as people who've been changed by the same gospel they're supporting, they're trusting and treasuring Christ above all things such that they're willfully, joyfully, generously giving to God. And that too gives him glory. And so the true measure of our giving is not ultimately or, or primarily the visible results on earth, though that matters we pray for that but it's the worthiness of the one to whom we give that's how we measure our giving the worthiness of the one to whom we give so even when we're not seeing the fruit that we want to see god's still worthy of the gift god's still worthy 
of the gift. The cause of the gospel is still a supremely worthy cause. And so we need to pray and we need to proclaim and to love our neighbors and to think strategically about what we do, but the results are ultimately in God's hands. The results are in His hands, and He will get the glory due His name. That is a sure investment. God will get the glory due His name. There will come a day when, as Paul says in chapter 2, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The mission will be successful. It will. And so the aim of Christian giving is the advance of the gospel to the glory of God. And in Jesus, we have a worthy cause. We have a worthy cause. We have a genuine fellowship. We have a chance to make a strategic investment all for the unending glory of Christ. And that is I believe, is a partnership worth investing in. Let's pray. Lord, as we have looked into your word this week and and the last several weeks, thinking about this topic of giving, we pray that you would be doing a renovating work on our hearts. Because ultimately, Lord, that's, that's what your word is aiming at our hearts. It's what we do flows out of the heart. And so, Lord, may we, through your word, treasure Jesus above all things. May we worship you and not our stuff. May we, may our hearts be filled with your love and compassion, such that we want others to know the hope that we have, by your grace, experienced. May our hearts be driven by your glory and your gospel And may that show itself in practical obedience to you in how we use our money. And may the investments that we make, Lord, not be about paying bills. May they be about the fruit that wells up to your glory for all eternity. Lord, we think, had the Philippians not shared generously with Paul, would he have been able to preach the gospel the way he did? And what would the church look like today, Lord? There gift is one of the reasons we have the New Testament today and Paul's writings. Lord, may we think big picture in how we give to you, and may it be to you, your glory, your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.